0: Our scripture today, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. And there it's written. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders, and when they come, Of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. If you would please join me in prayer. O oh, holy God, may the words of my mouth And the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Right? Right? Cleanliness is next to godliness. And, And we want all little boys to learn just that. Right, Michael? Right, Ellis? Jonathan? No. <laughs> cleanliness is next to godliness. It's a saying that, that we grew up with. Maybe our mothers or grandmothers or, or somebody else taught us cleanliness is next to godliness. And mainly, I think they just wanted me to pick up the pile of clothes that was in my room and put them in the laundry room, right? But there's something to it. It didn't just come out of nowhere. It's one of life's mantras. Yet here in our scripture today, Christ is really trying to get at the heart of the matter. And it's one of the things that Jesus does over and over again with every single one of his interactions. He doesn't just try and reach us on a surface level, but rather he is more interested in the depths of our hearts and working from the inside out. Now the disciples and Jesus, they were just in the storm and they saw Jesus walk on water and get in the boat with them. And they end up docking their boat in the region of Gennesaret. And there's towns and villages and countryside there and people recognize them. And so they began going out and the the sick people putting their beds in the towns and the villages in the countryside. And as Jesus passed, they would beg him to just touch him or if they could reach out and touch his garments. And it said, all that did were healed. But it's there as Jesus is doing this ministry, walking with the spirit where he's being led. And and the Pharisees are there with some of the scribes from Jerusalem. And they notice something. Something that's not right. Somebody is breaking one of the rules. Those disciples. That group of rule breakers following that Jesus. Well, there they are sitting down to eat, and the Pharisees noticed they didn't wash their hands. Now, hold on a sec. We're going to time out, right? We're going to time out right here. Before we get on to the Pharisees and the scribes about creating this rule in which you have to wash your hands, can we say that maybe they were ahead of their time, (laughs) right? Like, Maybe it's not one of God's commandments, but it is certainly a good and healthy way to live our lives. And we even had to be reminded of it last year. Everyone was like, wash your hands, do it for 20 seconds, sing the ABCs, whatever it is to take long enough. I know my wife, when she was in in college, and one of her projects was to go and do uh, community nursing, in which she went to schools to teach kids how to wash their hands. Now, she didn't do it and say, if you don't wash your hand, you're making God angry. That's not how it works. And that's where the Pharisees were, right? They created these traditions of the elders, which are rules, in order to fence the laws. So they made extra rules to keep you from breaking God's laws. And so there were rules on rules, and if you broke... One of the rules, you were in trouble, but it wasn't as bad as breaking one of the other rules. But there were all of these rules that you had to follow. And as I get going in this circuitous moment, it all just sounds so absurd. And Jesus is pointing that out. The absurdity of it all. Now doing this they were able to twist God's word to justify themselves or to modify and escape the word of God and its authority over them because they created other rules. And Jesus points out that the word of God gets reinterpreted or annulled altogether for personal gain. And essentially, that's what the Pharisees were doing. He he says... Your traditions of the elders nullify God's commandments in certain levels. And he brought it up about honoring your mother and father with the tradition of the elders of Corbin, of saying, well, it's given all to God already. But we would never do that, right? Not I say we. We would never attempt to modify God's word to say what we wanted to say in order to justify ourselves and feel better. Would we? Hey, I'm going to remind you, we're all in church together. (laughs) And yes, we do. Our sinful hearts inevitably twist God's word, God's law, towards selfish, self-justifying, and prideful purposes. It's, in fact, just that of what our heart does by twisting God's word, that makes Jesus' Sermon on the Mount found in the Gospel of Matthew chapters 5 through 7 so pleasant, yet also so hard to hear. Jesus says some really tough things in that sermon. In fact, in that Sermon on the Mount, he goes and says, well, the commandment says you shall not kill. But I tell you, That if you have anger in your heart towards another, you have killed them. Or if you insult them. Or if you say you fool. Yet, how many of us right now think we can justify why we're angry at someone? We could. We could find anyone in this room and go up to them, and we could tell them exactly why we are angry at that person, and we can twist it to where we find ourselves no longer under God's law. You see, Jesus is really getting to the heart of it. It's really getting deep down within us, and, and in verse 14 and 15, it He says, he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand this. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. It's not what goes in that makes us unclean and sinful. It's the very decay within our own hearts coming out of us. That reveal our sinfulness. And we pick up in verse 20. And he, that's Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile Jesus isn't scared of mincing words here. Jesus tells us that we have a sin problem, that we have a sin nature, and that it doesn't come from the outside. We can't blame it on external forces causing us to sin. The very sin is rooted deep within our hearts It's not that we went and slapped a skunk and it sprayed us, and so now we are left with a wretched stench. But rather, that wretched stench emanates from the very depths of our souls. That's our sin problem. It comes from within. So how do we fix it? How do we fix it? Jesus has already said, washing your hands will not do. Washing your hands will not rid you of the sin problem. And and what Jesus says here to these Pharisees and scribes, this is radical stuff. We've had 2,000 years to marinate and hear people uh, uh, expound upon what Jesus said to teach us and help clarify. But what Jesus had to say is radical stuff, especially if you think or believe that humans are intrinsically good. This flies in the very face of it. Jesus says, no one's good. We all have this sin problem. We all have to do something about it. None of us are perfect. It's one of the things we proclaim about Christ, that he and he alone is perfect. Not us, not anyone. So therefore, even a little bit of leaven leavens the whole loaf. Even a little bit of sin nullifies us from being a good person because we have a sin problem. All of us suffer from something on that list, that litany of evils that Jesus said. And he says it comes from our hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who, who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Paul tells us that none of us are righteous in Romans 3 and that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, it's easy. It's easy to fall into a trap of focusing on our outward conduct and fixing that first. It's a, I say it's a trap because we can focus on the outside, we can polish it, we can clean it, we can wash it, and it's readily noticeable. Others can see it right away. They see a change, but they see it on the outside. And we can become so enamored by outside results we neglect ever going And looking at our hearts. But when you focus on the inside. When you start there in the inside. It's much like planting a fruit tree from a seed. It will be years before fruit grows from it. It takes time. It's not a quick fix. You can't make it shiny and pretty right away. But. Being watered being planted in good soil, being cared for and taken after. It grows and it produces fruit. You know, when we ask, how can we fix this? Some will say, well, if, if we could just get everyone a bit more educated or cultured, that'll fix all of the problems, right? But it, But we know educated and cultured people and see them sin almost daily. Well, if we could have social reform, that'll fix all of the sin within us. No, that doesn't work either. Well, what about a new political system or a new government or a new president or a new world order and a revolution? Folks, that won't change it. What's truly needed. What's truly needed. Is a radical change of the human heart. Education and culture won't do it. Social reform and political movements. Won't do it. Even revolution in the new world order. Won't do it. There is simply no worldly power. That can make a sinful heart. Good. Period. Only. And I mean only the gospel of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit can do that. Amen? Amen. Oh, we can say amen loudly because we are gathered here today because our hearts have been changed. Our hearts have been pierced. It wasn't because we got well-educated. It wasn't because we sought political correctness. It wasn't because we voted in an election. It's because God came and redeemed our souls. So we sing praises with gladness and joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And so, what is needed is regeneration. In the church, we say regeneration. It's to be born again, to be born anew. And Jesus said in John 3, chapter 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There must be new birth, there must be a new heart. In the Hebrew Bible, in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, I will give you a new heart, he promises, and a new spirit I will put within you. And Paul expounds in Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then on top of that, two chapters later in, verse, in chapter 8, Paul goes and tells us that not only have through baptism and faith in Christ have we been given a new heart, that we have been reborn, he tells us that we have been given the Holy Spirit dwelling within our heart. And we can access the power of that Spirit to put to death the very sin in our lives. While we were yet sinners, All of this happened while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us and upon that cross taking on our sin and putting his righteousness on us. So that when we stand before God, we stand before him in good standing. Upon hearing the gospel. Our hearts are pierced by the Holy Spirit. And we receive faith in Christ leading us into the water for baptism. And we are given the Holy Spirit to dwell in us as we walk in this life. Teaching us, guiding us, encouraging us. For it is our helper. Helping us to enjoy the Father. Because of Christ, our sinful hardened and hearts are redeemed. And now we have no condemnation. We don't have to sit and and wallow in shame or guilt. We have no fear of judgment coming our way. And we can once again, this is key, we can once again enjoy being with the Father just as he originally intended to do with Adam. That is the great gift of salvation, is that we are free from condemnation. We are free from shame and guilt, that our sin is no longer held over us and is no longer a barrier between us and God. And now we can go to God in prayer and communicate with him anytime, talk with him, be with him, and enjoy him, simply the Father who created us. You see, this gospel is radical. And there's no other way except Christ. We can polish the outside. We can educate ourselves all we want. We can do good things. None of that changes us. Only Christ can do that. And we thank God that he did. Amen.